Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz bassist Andrew Lyon and pianist Ruthie Deneen. They are a part of the collective known as the Negative Press Project. They spoke candidly about their latest 2017 CD, Eternal Life, Jeff Buckley Songs and Sounds. It's a great album. Paying homage to a tight in the world of popular music. And over the course of our discussion, they talked about the beginning of their band, why they work so well together, their influences, the future, and so much more. So please get to know them and the band and dig this interview, my friends. Andrew, Ruthie, thank you for taking a minute out to talk to me about the band and this Jeff Buckley album. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. And before I go forward here, you know, I am a obviously a huge jazz fan. This is my passion, but the soundtrack of my 20s, was a level of 120 minutes from MTV, and Jeff Buckley was interwoven very deeply into my psyche. I mean, when we drove around, the fever pitch of So Real was loud in the car. I mean, that was the the soundtrack, that whole album. So I do remember being in my apartment and hearing that he was doing the backstroke on the Mississippi and how hard that hit me. And I just kind of was like, wait, was he 27? Is it the rock age? What's going on here? You know, and... I, I think he was 30, but anyway, I just I just want you to know as I go into this, not only did I really enjoy this album, but I, I keenly understand the importance of this artist who really only released one album. I mean, Sketches to My Girlfriend was kind of an afterthought. It wasn't even really finished. His mom found the tapes, but, mm-hmm. you know, this album. Anyway, so as we get ready to go into this, um, I just want to ask you, how did this album come about? It was really an experiment. I, I think uh, I can speak for me personally, which is uh, I can relate to the connection that you had with uh, Jeff Buckley's music. Uh, it, it was uh, certainly uh, just just by nature of uh, Generation X, it, it surrounded uh, me and, and was a, a soundtrack of sorts as well. Although, uh, I, admittedly, uh, the importance of his music didn't didn't hit me in, until uh, posthumously. But I was aware of the flash that he was you know, making early on in, in the mid '90s with uh, with his singular uh, studio album, Grace. And uh, Ruthie and I are, are now, I would say, longtime collaborators. And we were uh, searching for a subject just to challenge ourselves uh, to do some new arrangements. And it was it was really only intended to be uh, a single performance. And, uh, and yet our, our partnership with uh, Jeff Denson of uh, Bridgeway Records uh, pushed us in, in the direction of chewing a little bit more off and uh, actually combining our efforts into this tribute, which is uh, Eternal Life, uh, Jeff Buckley's Songs and Sounds of the Least. No, they, uh, you know, I, in the 90s, I, he was, I have an older brother that loves Jeff Buckley, um, and we were young but um, kind of searching and found him, luckily. For me, uh, when Andrew brought up the idea, we were searching, like Andrew said, but then when, when Jeff Buffy's name came, um, it was a uh, total yes. Let's get to the beginnings of this band. How did everything form? When did it form? And how did it all kind of come together? So Ruthie and I share uh, some tenure at uh, 
uh, California Jazz Conservatory, which is based out of Berkeley, California. You know, it, it was a small program. It still is a relatively small program now, uh, but it, it was a small, smaller program then. You look for uh, those folks that inspire you. You look for those that, that you know, might be able to further an artistic idea. Uh, and Ruthie, to me, uh, you really demonstrated um, you know, all, all of that. And so I, I, I was attracted to um, her outlook uh, and her approach to uh, composition and to performance. Uh, and that's actually been a, a driving force behind the uh, putting the group together because I, I, I lean on Ruthie a little bit in order to um, you know, move us towards our most artistic product, if you will, or, or, or uh, when I say product, you know, meaning efforts. Speaking in an interview with a novelist last night and um, just saying, uh, you know, you can, you can have talent, um, you can have all these things, but what you, you definitely need is discipline for art, right? Andrew, for me, is uh, someone that has a lot of talent and a lot of discipline, something that I, <laughs> I work towards. So I think we, we, we connect there, right, that um, we both have these lofty visions and big ideas and, and notice it right away in each other and then also want to move and want to do something, you know. I would say that, that it is, you know, we complement each other. You know, we, we each have our own uh, set of strengths, but we do... Yeah, we definitely meet in the middle, and and we were able to find uh, similar collaborators. I mean, one of our founding members is Chris Sullivan, who's uh, alto player uh, on this recording, and and uh, you know, our earlier uh, full length uh, studio recording. The relationships and and the personalities in the group have evolved. We've uh, been at this about five years now, um, if, if I recall correctly. It allowed Ruthie and I to take an Ellingtonian view uh, towards uh, composition in that we were arranging with specific people in mind. And although those, uh, although those uh, characters can, can sometimes uh, change, you know, we, we really have a, a core group of, of folks who uh, are able to help us fulfill our, our artistic vision, uh, if you will. And, and uh, I'm happy to speak more about the, uh, about the band. Uh, but that uh, that gives you some indication, you know, it's, it's collaborative effort. Uh, even though Ruthie and I sort of drive the, uh, you know, drive the vehicle, if you will. What does the name of the band mean? What's Negative Press Project mean? <laughs> Good question. I'm not sure. I have a great answer for you. I I, I dreamed that one up, and and I think Ruthie uh, perhaps begrudgingly went along with it. <laughs> and and that is, you know, at the time that that it occurred to me, uh, I, I thought of several. Uh, ideas. I mean, one is uh, I, I just had this vision in my mind of of you know, screen printing, where you know, layer upon layer of of ink, you know, to, to produce a, uh, an end result. Um, but it, you know, in uh, the current digital age, it, it can it can uh, uh, you can manipulate that in, in any way. Um, the other piece of it is uh, I, I wasn't necessarily expecting. Our approach to composition, or or the influences that might emerge in our performance or songwriting, mainly on my side. You know, I grew up listening to uh, and performing a lot of rock music, uh, original music uh, over the years as a sideman, and uh, and as part of uh, part of groups uh, in the Bay Area. 
knowing that there are you know, many jazzophiles, if you will, uh, you know, might lean more towards a, uh, a traditionalist view of the art form. Uh, that uh, you know, perhaps I was just allowing some license for uh, you know, for uh, a wonderfully warm to tepid reception of what we do, and that uh, that might be the uh, the negative press uh, reference in that as well. But but ultimately, I, I think it's it's layer upon layer uh, is it, really what it boils down to for me. Well, I just saw the words negative press and wanted to rule out fake news right up front. <laughs> <laughs> What kind of musical influences, obviously you've covered Buckley, but what other musical influences are kind of coursing through the organism of your group? I definitely jazz, obviously. Um, I think that's a common language. Uh, most all the all of our bandmates, um, a lot of us have studied together and, and played together in jazz, jazz setting. Um, and that's uh, you know, from traditional to bebop, I would say a lot of um, more 70s, 80s jazz losses. Um, for example, Minge, a lot of the bigger groups, Ellington, were as well, um, has definitely influenced uh, Andy and I. The players, many, many are, are kind of jazz cats, but they're all, you know. Um, and so they, they, most of them come from that world. I'd say, as far as Composition. Um, Andrew and I have taken a, a broader approach to that, and really allowed us um, to, to to be open and, and you know take us where they take us. Um, the two of us, for me, have a, a, a classical background, a big Latin background, um, and definitely some rock background as well as, as jazz too. So, and, and Andrew is different than mine. Sorry, I love all Andrews to that, but um, I think we're really interested in, you know, 2017, you know, we both grew up in the Bay Area, um, in a mixed environment with lots of influences, and, and we didn't want to limit ourselves. Uh, so, so I would agree, I mean, you can probably pick up elements of, of you know, culturing and, and Lyle Link's get performances on, on the record, or could pinpoint a, you know, a variety of other uh, aspects, you know, the uh, the musicality of the players definitely comes from uh, being steeped in the tradition. The compositions uh, that you know come from a multitude of, of sources, which can range from uh, ambient music to you know the ECM catalog was quite uh, influential um, in in my early development when I was beginning to open my ears to, to this uh, type of stuff, and, and of course, Pat Metheny Group was a big part of that. Uh, and really bridge the gap between, <laughs> as certainly uh, uh, you know, Pink Floyd lives up on to to Charlie Parker in a way, uh, and Ornette Coleman. And so you know, all those elements I, I believe exist in, in our music. And and you know, today if you if you look around, you know, contemporary or or, or you know, some of the leading edge uh, and players that are performing the music, uh, they share similar. Uh, backgrounds, you know, it, it, it's not just siloed, you know, one feel or or one uh, type of instrumentation, and, and which means that hopefully the art form, uh, creative music and improvised music, you know, continues to evolve as it should. Well, you know, the one thing that, you know, when I talk to older musicians, 
you know, like those that have really had a heyday and have been around for a long time, I, I feel a sense that they get nervous about the future of jazz. But when I talk to young collectives like you and hear what you're doing and you're a part of the future that's taken on the reins of jazz, what do you say to the old guard in the world of jazz to let them know that jazz is just going to continue its evolution? <laughs> I, say thank, I say thank you to them. Their work has informed what we do. And, and, and I think that those that are, that are most connected to the tradition also recognize that the music you know, has to move forward. I voraciously uh, consume you know, jazz documentaries and, and interviews and so forth. And, and that's the, that seems to be the general tone that I pick up uh, when uh, you know, these, in many cases, iconic figures are asked about the future of the music. Yeah, I think on one hand, uh, it sounds like they're, I, I can't speak for anybody in particular, but it sounds like they're generally encouraged. I, I don't necessarily hear a lot of trepidation uh, as to the, the future of the music uh, as much. I, I don't know if Ruthie, if you have uh, something to add to that. I mean, I think aside culture and, and just uh, history, you know, things, things change and also, there's a recognition of, of what was and a study of what was, right? Um, so, I I think there is definitely a push for um, the musicians to... I've definitely had teachers that have, uh, you know, had me really focus on the tradition, right? Because I, I needed to spend a little bit more time there. For example, I think, you know, educational institutions for jazz, for example, these, these things in... Um, more arts in the schools, that's going to help um, for society to, to, you know, support the study of our history in arts and culture. Um, you know, that has definitely affected this group, for example. Um, so I think there's ways, you know, that the, the old guard, I would say, is, is working too to maintain and, and that we understand the tradition, the tradition. But then I also think that um, they also, like, like Andrew said, Improvised music has been something that's been happening for ages, right? And it, it just looks differently for societal, cultural, historical reasons um, throughout the time. So I, I think it will survive, and I think that the history of it and the understanding of it is something that we have to uh, fight for, though. So speaking of survival, let's look into the future here, and I want to ask you, what's next? for you as a band, whether it's geography, touring, material, and if I can throw my two cents in and we want to get real Gen X with the music of that era, you know, there probably would be a lot of benefits to covering someone like Elliot Smith, say, figure eight, maybe XO, something like that. Have you thought about anything else along those lines? Well, Elliot Smith is probably one of my biggest influences. <laughs> I saw him perform live a couple of times to music. Um, so I like that comment just as a visceral reaction. I think there's possibility for that. I think we really enjoy the process and we've learned a ton. Um, but I, I also think that I know that I am totally itching right now to just do an album um, of just original composition right now and, and define the group that way too. So I, I think it's going to be, you know, it's a long journey ahead of us. Um, I think that that's where we're probably immediately going right now. I, I would agree. Really, the notion of, of putting out a, a recording that is you know, in tribute to, to somebody, you know, it's, a, it's just something in this case. You know, we, we were 
persuaded by our friend and mentor, Jeff Benson, uh, to do so. Uh, again, with, with refrigerated records. And, and there was uh, a bit of a design behind it. And, and on top of that, I mean, Luke and I did two original pieces, uh, one written by each of us uh, and, and arranged for the group because uh, we didn't uh, we didn't want to uh, necessarily limit ourselves to you know, just a, a tribute, if you will. We you know we had one other uh, full length studio recording out, which was which was our first, and whereas I think we've grown tremendously from an artistic standpoint, uh, you know there, there's plenty of unrecorded material and plenty of ideas and concepts that um, we're uh, looking to put into motion uh, next year and, and the year after that. Uh, but that doesn't rule out, uh, like you say, you know, some of the, uh, some of our, uh, individual influences. I mean, it's, it's one thing, you know, to say, you know, let's, let's do, let's, let's do giant stuff. You know, but if we don't have anything you know, new to bring to the, the canon by collecting a, a tune such as that, then, you know, I, I think we're going to shy away from it. And, and to be honest, uh, the reason Aside from the, the great inspiration that Jeff Buckley uh, represents to each of us uh, personally, his music was also, you know, not not quite as well tread, if you will, in the jazz canon, and that's why we thought it would be uh, a good uh, experiment to take on. You know, whereas uh, you have the Bad Plus and you have uh, Brad Meldow and uh, and and others uh, that I can't pick up off the top of my head, you know, that, that may have already taken their approach to you know, something like Elliot Smith, uh, Taylor Eggstein is another one. I think we're interested in, in going down the, the, the less trodden path as much as we can. At the same time, you know, if something hits us in a particular tune, I'm not going to shy away from it. I mean, there's, I, I can speak of like a Queens of the Stone Age tune, you know, might, <laughs> you know, could be in our future, but but ultimately, we have a lot of uh, unrecorded original material that we're really pitching to get out. So let me ask you this. You know, the one thing about this world of, of music and marketing is that you got to sell yourself. And I ask you this in the vein of maybe a tweet, but just kind of to encapsulate who you are. You know, everyone has a version of who you all are as a band, you know, um, your family, your friends, each of the bandmates. But each of you, respectively, if you had to boil down who you are as a band to convince a potential fan to come out to see you live or to purchase your work, what would you say about the band that would really sum up who you are and get to the heart of what you do and who you are? That's a good question. You're right. In in the present environment, you know, there seems to be a lot of noise out there. Uh, meaning, you know, whether it be the internet or, or just, you know, marketing noise. And it, and it's difficult to capture people's, uh, attention sometimes, or, you know, which often boils down to, you know, do you have a hook of some sort? And, and I think, to be honest, with creative music, it's, that's sometimes more difficult to define. Um, but I think the element of, of surprise, the inclusion of, an audience into our experience you know, while we're performing and on the bandstand, and, and you know the the opportunity to convey uh, really our gratitude for each other within the group, as well as you know those who are there to share the experience with us, is is really what it comes down to. Maybe that sounds a little new agey, but you know I live in Northern California, so <laughs> I, I, I have some some room 
I'm just thinking about what, what sets us apart. We're a larger group, right? And you know, it's hard to, <laughs> to have a larger group kind of today. Um, and a, a larger group that puts dynamics and sensitivity of playing front and center. And I think we spend a lot of time thinking about that. Dynamic sensitivity, composition, improvisation, meaning. Um, it can sound, it can sound like a change group or a rock group at any second, too, um, or mingus ish, you know. So I think, you know, but, but at the same time, we have our staff, uh, which is definitely, we say NPP a lot, you know, making it fresh project. And it's, it's a unique kind of melting pot or, or mixture. Um, very intentional mixture of kind of modern and tradition and uh, very genres. We, we ended a, a recent performance and, and proprietor of, of the establishment uh, you know, had this to say about us, which is that we're, we're the only group that he knows of that, that sounds like us. That's good. That That's almost every single level of a Miles Davis quote, which was basically be you. And hopefully you can achieve your voice. He talked about that for a long time. So um, that's good. And I saved that tough question for the final question. So I appreciate you, Andrew and Ruthie, taking some time out to talk to me about the band, this project, and the future. I appreciate it. Well, we really appreciate you highlighting it. And, and, uh, and I've listened to some of your other interviews. So I uh, love that you're you know, helping keep the conversation going. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah, it's my pleasure, man. I'm only standing on the shoulders of giants out there. You guys are making the music, so thank you. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in the Bay Area, New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks again to Andrew and Ruthie for their time, music, and stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.